Good morning, Tapestry. It is good to see you again, to be with you again. Um, I hope that you have had a good week. Um, if you are a parent who has a child going to school virtually, um, whew, we made it to the first weekend. That's all I can say about that. My prayers are with you all, as I hope you are praying for me, um, because it's a mess, but we're doing what we can, right? Um, <clears throat> welcome back to week two of this series. Last week, we uh, took the plunge into the deep waters of our emotions. Um, so if you watched last week and you're back this week, good for you. Some of you just heard me say that sentence and heard what this is about. You're out. Um, okay, give me a couple weeks and you can return. Um, but the reason that we're talking about this um, is because I need to deal with this subject um, in my own life. And so I figured that I would just let you all in on watching me figure some of this stuff out for myself. Um, and hopefully it will be beneficial to some of you as well. Um, I, I have found during this, this period, during this pandemic um, of uh, a somewhat measure of isolation, of being um, in close proximity with my family, um, what seems nonstop, uh, I've found that, that it has brought to light some of the emotions and struggles that uh, I have up to this point had done a pretty good job of kind of tamping down and burying and not thinking about and, and not really dealing with. Um, and man, there's some times, there's some reactions that I've had. My family has experienced some of those things coming up by the way that I react to things and, and what is seemingly um, my ever thinning patience. And, and I don't know if any of you are dealing with any of that, um, but I have a feeling that I'm not the only one that's experiencing this, right? There, there are, there's more and more documentation coming out now um, uh, of people who are struggling uh, mentally and emotionally with, with their mental and emotional health during this time of, of social distancing and pandemic, right? And, and it's manifesting itself in just so many different aspects of life. W one of the sad statistics that I've seen um, is that during, during this whole thing, that domestic violence is going up as people uh, are dealing with so much emotionally and, and people who maybe we're on the edge before have just given in to their emotions and allowed it to escalate. And there was a, there was a study that was done a little while back and it looked at, it kind of gave this idea, suggested the idea that extreme loneliness um, or extreme separation may have just as much of an impact on a person's physical health as smoking and obesity. And so these emotional issues that people are dealing with during these times of these weird, weird times that we're in, um, it, it, it's real and, and it's a big deal. And so for this series, I've decided we are, at least I am and you're gonna watch it, we are going to face our emotions head on. We are not going to continue to bury them, uh, to ignore them, to deny that they exist, pretend that everything is fine when we know that everything isn't fine. We're, we're going to put in the effort 
together, you and me, we're going to do this. We're going to put in the effort um, into our emotional health in the same way that so many of us put effort into our physical health um, through things like exercise and good diet and doctor's visits and, you know, good hygiene, these things, Uh, this type of effort, it needs to happen for our emotional health as well. And as we discussed last week, the first thing that's necessary for our emotional health is to be psychologically aware and is to be aware of your emotions. Pay attention to, we talk about paying attention to your, um, your feelings, your emotions, your, your pain, your reaction to things um, and ignoring those things, ignoring those things will lead to more damage and more pain down the road. Um, But for so long, there has been a stigma uh, attached to admitting struggles with these emotions. When you admit um, struggling with loneliness or struggling with depression or anger or anxiety or fear, so many times expressing those struggles has been met with reactions like, ah, just toughen up right? Just get over it. You're making too big of a deal out of this. It's not really that big of a deal. And and your feelings are minimized um, and not really acknowledged. But doing those things, toughening up, trying to get over it, like pretending it's not a big deal, doing those things has led to some devastating results for people. Doing those things has led to extremely damaged and broken relationships. Um, And, and, The damage is not just for those who are experiencing the emotion. The damage that's done is for those who are close to them as well. Uh, We also talked about this needing to expand the vocabulary around your emotions. Really try to define what you're feeling when you feel it beyond just happy, sad, and mad. Right? Because correctly identifying what emotion you're having um, is a key to being able to address that emotion. And without doing this, you can't grow as a person, right? You, you can't be the best version of yourself. You can't be a better parent, a better spouse, uh, a better friend, a better boss, a better employee. Um, but doing this, becoming that better version, confronting those things, doing that requires change, right? And for many of us, change is painful, Uh, There's a really good book that I would um, recommend that you read. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, And and the author is a guy named Peter Scazzaro. And he says this in the book. He says, the sad reality is that most of us will never go forward until the pain of staying where we are is unbearable. That is, most of us will not move forward until the pain we experience leaves us no other choice that we just can't stay where we are any longer. So so my challenge to you for today and throughout this series, my challenge to you is this, is let's be proactive, right? Let's not allow ourselves to get to the point of unbearable. Some, Some of the people around you may think you're already there. I'm sure some of the people around me think I'm there, but, but let's not get to the point of unbearable pain before we decide to address our emotional health. Now, it's no secret um, that addressing your emotions is difficult and perhaps even more than difficult is terrifying. 
Um, and the reason is, is because that those emotions are, are essentially messengers that are telling you there's, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And many of us have invested a lifetime into avoiding the what's wrong part. Into avoiding dealing with the root of those emotions, right? Because dealing with them is painful and, and dealing with them would be more painful than the pain we're experiencing at the exact moment, right? And since that pain is more, we decide, eh, I'm just gonna sit in this pain, right? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sit here. But, but to leave them unaddressed, to leave them unaddressed will guarantee that eventually the pain that you're sitting in with them will increase and increase and increase until it gets to that point that it is unbearable. And then you know what you gotta do? That pain that you've been avoiding of changing, you've got to go through it anyway. You've got to go through it anyway. Um, another reason that we may not address our emotions is because, I mean, let's be honest, emotions are complex, right? Usually the, there's not just a singular emotion. There's elements of so many different emotions that tie into singular feelings that we have. And even, even the roots might not be singular. That there may be several different things that are, that are feeding into a singular emotion that we are experiencing. And with that type of complexity, we may, we may just feel overwhelmed. I don't even know how to start addressing it. I don't know that I have the skills, even if I wanted to to be able to address and fix what's going on as connected to the emotions that I'm feeling. And it all just seems so overwhelming. Um, even further, even further, some of you um, may have been, become so familiar with those emotions that you struggle with. You've had them for so long. You've lived with them for so long that they have become your identity. That you are those emotions. And the thought of doing whatever you've got to do and getting rid of them and getting rid of the issues and the roots, doing that, you wonder if I'm not that, what am I? And the idea of not knowing what you are, that, that, can, be, that can be terrifying as well. So in our quest together over the next few weeks of at least figuring out what we need to do to become emotionally healthy, the questions that have arisen are this, what do emotionally healthy people know and what do emotionally healthy people do? As we've said, emotionally healthy people know what they're feeling and know what lies beneath those emotions. But there's also another principle that emotionally healthy people understand. And unsurprisingly, Jesus addresses this principle uh, in a conversation that he has with his disciples. He, he had just been, he had just been uh, out uh, and talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And his disciples weren't there for that conversation. Um, they had gone off to try and find some things. And, and he had this conversation and they came back and they were shocked that he was talking to this, to this woman. But then she leaves back to go back to the town. And it, and Jesus had a conversation with his disciples and he lets us in on this principle that holds true in absolutely every arena in our life. Here's, here's how it goes. John chapter four, 
Verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him after she left. They urged him, Rabbi, eat something. This was towards the end of the day. Uh, his disciples were concerned about his, his physical health. They're saying, Jesus, if you don't eat, you're not going to have the energy that you need. Um, things seem to be going pretty good. We need you to be the best Jesus possible. So you need to get something to eat, right? Because, because a healthy diet is essential to your physical health, Jesus. But, but Jesus in typical Jesus style, he, he gives a little bit of a confusing answer. Here's what he says. But he says to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. <laughs> and as usual, his disciples don't get it. It goes, it goes right over their head. Um, he, he, was in, he was inviting them. Here's what Jesus was doing. He was inviting them to pay attention to something more than the physical. But they demonstrate how, how slow to the game they are. When his disciples, then his disciples, after they'd heard this, they said to each other, could someone have brought him food? In other words, his disciples essentially looked at each other like, wait, 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 wait. Was there a taco run and nobody told us about it? Right? Well, how, what is he talking about? Like, why didn't, why didn't somebody ask if we wanted in on this secret food thing? Right? Thank, thanks for not letting us in on it, Jesus. We appreciate it. So <laughs> Jesus seeing how much they're missing what he's trying to talk about, he, he breaks it down for him. Verse 34, my food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That is more important than food. That, Jesus tells them, is more important than the physical, right? I, I have a clear connection Jesus tells his disciples, I have a clear connection to God in heaven. Uh, and it, it's more important for me to maintain that connection. It's more important for me to, to know what God has for me, to have, uh, to have a clear line of communication with God. That, that's, that's more important than food to me. I, I'm sure some of you, as I was thinking about what Jesus was trying to say here and talking about, you know, having that clear connection. Now that I'm sure you've been on a phone call um, where the, the connection just was bad, right? And it, and it shouldn't be. You got strong signal, they got strong signal, whatever. It's, and it's just bad, right? And you can't hear them. Finally, you get to the point where you're like, let me just hang up and call you back, right? You've, you've gotten to that point. And then when you hang up and you just call them right back, everything's fixed, right? It's pretty good. Because, because so many times that hanging up and calling back, that, that clears it up. That gives, you the, that gives you the clear connection to the person that you were talking to. And in the same way, Jesus was advocating for a clear connection with God. And he's saying, listen, the best thing for me to have a clear connection with God is not a full stomach. Although Jesus would acknowledge, yes, a full stomach is important. The best thing for me is a clear connection with God. And for that to exist, there are some things that I must do. And then Jesus starts to hone in on this principle. He says, don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. It's still four months until harvest. Listen, th this is something that I constantly struggle with. 
Essentially, what he's saying is, don't you guys have a saying that it's like, ah, we have plenty of time. The work is off in the distance. We don't need to worry about that now. That'll come when it comes. We've got plenty of time. Putting things off until they can be put off no longer is something that I struggle with in a massive way, right? Every, every time I start a new class, every time I start a new class, I get the syllabus and I'm reading over the syllabus. I'm like, ooh, 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 I can start this early. I can, I can start that, I can get that done. I can get that knocked away. That, that, way, uh, that way, I'm not slammed at the end. Every class I say that. Every class I don't start early and I'm slammed at the end. Like it just, it's me. Because until it is on top of me, until something is due, like until I'm like, oh man, I can't get any sleep tonight if I want to have this done on time. Like I, I, I think in my head, ah, I've still got plenty of time. I've still got plenty of time. You know, isn't it four months until that paper's due? Every professor's like, you should start thinking about it now, knowing that not a single one of the students will think about it now. But that's the thing, right? And in the same way, we put off doing emotional work because we've convinced ourselves that it's not that bad. We're fine. It doesn't need to dress. It's not hurting anybody. Besides, I've got a lot of time to deal with that. Like it's not on top of me yet. I have a lot of time, plenty of time later. But Jesus says, look, don't, don't you have the saying, it's still four months at the harvest. But I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe. For harvest. In other words, Jesus is saying, no, you don't have four months. The time for action, the time for work, the time to do what you have to do is now. I know you think you have a lot of time. You don't. You need to act now because what you do now will determine what your future looks like. He keeps going. He says this, even now, the one who reaps, draws a wage and harvest crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Now, when you go back and look at the context of this conversation, following the conversation Jesus had with the woman at the well and into this, it's clear that the, the, this conversation is centering around the topic of eternal life. He, Jesus is talking about what is possible in this life and in the next life. And he's saying, listen, I've come to give you life and life more abundantly. And not just life here, not just abundant life here, but an eternal life. There's a way to better. Where you are now, I can get you to better. But Jesus takes this principle of reaping and sowing, which we're all familiar with. Those aren't words that we use in our everyday language, but, but we know what they're talking about. Planting and harvesting. You do something and then you experience the, the, the consequences and the results. The, this idea of sowing. He takes it and he introduces, with this last sentence, he introduces the, in, the idea that the reaper or the planter or the initial action person is not always the same person or the sower is not always the same person as the reaper. The one who feels the effects or the consequences of the initial action, right? Those aren't always the same people. We're familiar with you sow something, you reap something. It's the basic idea of karma that we all operate under. But Jesus introduces to that principle that you may reap something that someone else has sown. 
And don't you know that to be true when it comes to your emotional health? I mean, how many of us are struggling with our emotional health, dealing with emotions that when you get down to the root of those things, the root of those things are things that someone else did. I mean, it's a big deal for a lot of people that they are emotionally reaping someone else's actions. That's what's going on. And there are many of you who, who are reaping negative emotional health as a result of something that someone else sowed in your life. And the flip side of that coin is this, is that many of the things that you do right now, someone else is going to reap those things in their life. Right? Somebody else th th that you are close to is going to emotionally deal with your actions now. Right? And, and that works. That's not just a negative thing. That works on the positive side of the coin as well. Right? You, you, can, you can put in the work to become an emotionally healthy person. And you can go through and do the things that are nece necessary to create an emotionally healthy environment around you. And those who are close to you and those coming up after you, they will reap the benefits of your work. But you cannot do that by kicking the can down the road and thinking you have plenty of time to act later when it comes to your emotional health and well-being. So Jesus says, knowing all that, that means that, that the saying one sows and another reaps is true. Jesus is laying out this idea that there is a connection between us. None of us are operating in a vacuum on our own. Everything that we do affects someone else around us. There's a connection. So you need to pay attention to what you are sowing. For others are going to be affected by it. Your spouse, your children, your friends, those close to you are affected by what you are sowing. And my hope, my hope is this, is that, is that you would be encouraged to begin to put in the work for your emotional health, right? That you would begin sowing, doing what is necessary to become emotionally healthy, which brings us to this question. What is it that emotionally healthy people do? which I would say that is a great question. I'm glad you asked it. In reality, we could sit here for another two hours uh, coming up with things that emotionally healthy people do. Um, honestly, I don't want to be here that long um, and you wouldn't watch it all anyway. So here's what we're going to agree to do. Um, we're going to look at a few things that emotionally healthy people do. Um, and hopefully some of these things are things that you can look at and will resonate with you that you can begin to implement or incorporate into your life. Here's the first thing that emotionally healthy people do. Um, if you want to be healthy, you need to acknowledge that you have emotions, but do not let them control you. Right? It's dangerous to refuse to acknowledge your emotions and to pretend they aren't there. 
That is dangerous. We've been talking about that for a while now. However, it is equally dangerous to acknowledge your emotions and then to allow those emotions to control you, to dictate your reactions, to determine where you go in life. There's a sweet spot between those two alternatives, right? There's a sweet spot. Acknowledging your emotions and knowing what they are and then determining how to deal with them so that they do not control you. Emotionally healthy people do that. Here's another thing that emotionally healthy people should do. They, they should maintain a dialogue with emotionally healthy people who are invested in you. The, the truth is, the truth is that for us to become emotionally healthy and for us to stay emotionally healthy, um, we, we can't do it alone. We need help. We need an environment where there's um, trust and acceptance and where these things can be talked about freely, right? This is one of the most difficult aspects um, of this whole church online during the pandemic thing. Um, we're separated. And a couple of us get together every once in a while with somebody over here, maybe over there, but as a church, there's no way around it. We're separated. And in all honesty, watching a video of a sermon once a week, I mean, that's not, that doesn't, it's okay. But we're separated. A sermon isn't sufficient for dialogue with other people, right? Like we, we, we normally get that dialogue through being together, through experiencing Sunday mornings together. We, we, normally, get it, we normally get it through small groups, right? Where, where we are able to be together and we're trying, to, we're trying to figure out what that might even look like right now, small groups. In fact, if we have your email address, this week you're going to be getting a short survey on small groups, what you might want them to look like, what you're willing to be a part of or not be a part of and how things might work. We're going to do what we can, but I don't know, it's difficult right now. If we don't have your email and, and you want to hear and put your voice in about small groups, go to tapestrysavannah.com, fill out a connect card. You can be included in the small group survey. Um, but we, we need fellowship with each other and we need to figure out what that looks like and how we can do that in one way or another because that's where the dialogue happens with each other where we get a chance to hear the experience of others. Or where, where we get a chance to hear about ways people have put things into practice that they've heard or read or discovered and where we get encouragement in our effort to gain emotional health. Those kinds of conversations and dialogues with other people, that, that's, that's where growth happens. More than just you listening to me disseminate information. Um, as I look back on my experience in life, man, 
my biggest times of growth, the things that have shaped me the most are people who, who have been not afraid to say hard things to me because they're interested in me being the best version of myself. So emotionally healthy people, they, they have continual dialogue with other emotionally healthy people. Here's, here's another thing, and this one just starts to get tough. Monthly, emotionally healthy person chooses to prioritize the feedback of those who love them over their own assessment. Listen, we are all biased to think that we are right because we think we're right. Because if we thought we were wrong, we would probably change to be right. And so we're biased to think we're right, that the way that I see the world um, is the best way to see the world. And discounting the feedback, listen, this can get so dangerous, discounting the feedback of those around you because it conflicts with the way that you see things is really, really dangerous. It is a guaranteed way to make sure that you remain isolated with no anchor to keep you from floating to places that you don't need to be. In fact, here's a question that every single one of us should be asking ourselves on a regular basis. What is it like to sit across from me? Which may seem like a weird question, but the reason it's an important question is because you have never sat across from yourself. You've never done that. You've only sat on your side of the table. And it's, it's valuable to put in the effort, to put in the effort to, to try and see yourself from the perspective of those around you. Because without putting yourself in the shoes of those people who are around you, and I'm not even just saying random people around you. I'm saying the people who are close to you and care about you as a person. If you don't put in the effort to put yourself in their shoes when they're telling you things that you don't agree with or you don't see it the same way, then you will become paranoid and think that everyone else is just out to get you or to control you. And you will end up isolating yourself even further and causing even more pain. But this whole thing, this whole prioritizing feedback of those around you, th this is terrifying because you may hear things that you do not want to hear or that you may not agree with. But you've got to give these things an honest listen. Right? I cannot tell you the number of times as a pastor that I have watched a person who has had every single person that is close to them, that loves them, that cares for them, telling them that they were headed in a dangerous direction. And the person convinced themselves that everybody was wrong and that they were the only ones that were right and everybody else just wanted to control them and inevitably pain and heartache followed. So if you want to be emotionally healthy, you need to choose to prioritize the feedback of those in your life who love you. That's what emotionally healthy people do. Finally, 
you need to do this. You need to invite God into the process. And this really, this really is the X factor because all of the other things, um, you know, being emotionally aware, expanding your vocabulary, establishing new habits and healthy habits, you know, they're all great. Um, but ultimately, ultimately, until we invite God into the situation, there's only so much we can do. There's only so much we can do. And this, hey, here's what you need to do. Invite God in. That can seem like a really Christianese flaky thing to say that ultimately doesn't mean anything and only leads to more frustration. Um, and I know that. And so we're going to spend some time next week talking about that. But for this week, I encourage you to begin to do some of the things that will lead towards emotional health in this unusual time. Acknowledge that you have emotions, but don't let them control you. Maintain dialogue with emotionally healthy people who are invested in you. Choose to prioritize the feedback of those who love you. Prioritize it over your own assessment. And invite God into the process. That's a lot. You're not going to get it all done this week. But you need to start thinking about what that looks like in your life. And how much you need to invest to make it happen. Because ultimately, by the fact that you've made it to the end of this message, I know you want a better version of yourself, a, a, an emotionally healthy version of yourself. So spend some time this week beginning to implement the things that will lead to emotional health. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I, I thank you that you continually, through your word, direct us back to where we need to be. And Lord, this is a time in our nation when people are dealing with emotional health and struggling with their emotional health in a way that I don't think I've seen in my lifetime. And God, I pray that, Lord, that as I say these words, that, that they come out not as me judging or saying you're not doing it right, but, but honestly that I want us all to be the best version of ourselves. And God, you can get us there. Lord, let us, even though it can be terrifying and difficult, let us have the strength and the courage to face our emotions head on and to not put it off to the future, but to begin to deal with them now so that we can avoid reaching the ultimate point of pain that forces us to move forward. Lord, I thank you for your mercy and for your grace in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. Look forward to next week as we continue speaking uh, on our sea of emotions.